Welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. It's another beautiful Monday as I'm recording this. Actually, it might be the uh, probably one of the best Monday mornings we've had in Colorado for a while, despite my voice, which is full of uh, just pure allergy BS. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skate it out after I record this, which is something I, uh, I've been doing recently. I, I got back into rollerblading <laughs> for the first time in... I don't know, like 15 years, and uh, yeah, first time getting on, took about 20 minutes because your body's not used to it, but then you get back into that groove that you, you'd fall into as a, as a young kid with, you know, no worry about uh, what your copay is going to be like if you break an elbow or, or a patella, <laughs> but it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's just been my form of cardio as a summer shred is coming up, and I'm trying to lean down for some... Uh, hopefully some really fun rolls. But uh, yeah, outside of that, just been another very busy week with work, not a whole lot of auditions, but slowly winding down from like four or five weeks straight of a lot of gigs, which is great, but when you work a full day job as well, it gets a little tiresome. So I'm looking forward to uh, about two, two or three weeks off and uh, doing some more podcast stuff. But I hope everyone out there is doing well. Hope you had a great Easter. If you celebrate Easter, I worked, but uh, I ate a lot of candy, <laughs> which goes against what I just said. Anyway, we are here to talk about Meredith Garrison, right? Because you're either a huge fan of Prodigal Son or mainly Resident Alien, for sure. That show's amazing. Uh, or The Offer coming up, which it looks like an amazing show based on the... Uh, I guess the journey of how to get the uh, the first Godfather up and running as an adaptation, <laughs> with some very non-discreet threats of uh, you know retro retribution is that the word we're looking for uh, from the uh, the mafia. So yeah, where am I going with this? I I need coffee. I I am trying to wake up, and I'm also trying to read what I'm about to say, which hopefully I don't screw up because I know I did it okay in this episode, but Meredith Garrison is a uh, gramophonetic synthesite, which means, as she describes it, she sees different colors for different letters and numbers. That is the coolest thing, and we talk about that a lot. We talk about that, we talk about how, you know, she graduated from Tisch, what she wanted to do as far as acting goes, having always been interested in the performing arts, and uh, how she navigated, you know, taking risks in this very unstable industry and is absolutely killing it. So, without uh, further ado, let's get right down to it. Let's sit down and talk with Meredith Garrison. My name is Meredith Garrison. I am an actor. Um, I am currently working on my second season of Resident Alien, which uh, just launched its mid-season finale last night on Sci-Fi. Um, and uh, I will also be seen on a show called The Offer, where I play Ali McGraw, which is due out on April 28th on Paramount+. Plus, and some other stuff in the works forthcoming. Um, I'm an actress, artist, citizen, human being. Oh, perfect answer. Love it. Love it. Kurt, to the point, all the pivotal, pivotal information is there. I'm going to throw a curveball your way, though. For the first thing okay. I want to ask you is, uh, if you could tell us what a gramophonetic synthesis, synthesis <gasps> is. A gramophonetic synthesis. <laughs> so, for as long as I've been a person, yeah. and, been, you know, 
understood letters and numbers and stuff. I've always, um, when I see words, I see colors. And I used to ask people about this when I was little, I would be like, is A red to you? And someone would be like, what? Is it written in red? And I'm like, no, is it like, is it red? Uh, is two blue to you? Stuff like that, you know, is eight black, things like that. Um, and when I would read words, I would see color patterns. And I, when I say see, I mean, you get hit with a wash of color over the letters. It's not like suddenly my vision goes red. It's like, I just feel a color is there. And it's been my whole life. And I thought it was some weird, I don't know. I didn't know what I thought when I was little, but I thought that nobody else understood what it was. And then I was speaking to somebody when I was like, I think an undergrad and somebody said, have you ever heard of synesthesia? And all synesthesia means is when two of your senses overlap. So when one okay. sense fires, the other sense fires. And there's all these different kinds of synesthetes. Like um, there's a lot of synesthetes who are mathematicians, musicians, because it's a, a lot of creative people are synesthetes because you're operating on kind of two planes of experience or senses or multiple planes of experience on, at the same time. And so it, the main way that mine manifests is when I read or think of words or numbers, I see patterns of colors in my head. Um, but there are really cool synesthetes who can like smell sounds or they hear, they hear things and uh, they can feel sensations on their body. Like there's a story about a woman who had, she went to her dentist and she said, um, my, my back tooth is orange. Something's wrong with it. And he was like, your back tooth is not orange. And she was like, no, no, it's orange. It's normally purple, but it's orange. And he was like, like all right, I don't. So he like did a, a, a um, what do you call it? an x-ray? Yeah. And she had a, she had a dormant, she had a, the beginnings of like a tooth decay in her tooth. And she just, you know, anyway, synesthetes, it's a whole world. I could go on and on. <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to ask it because I, when I was doing research on you, just, you know, to find more facts I could bring up, I found yeah. that and I'm like, I'd never heard of that before. And it's amazing. It sounds like a very academic X, you know, X person team, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like a superpower. Like if you're on like you know, the like Justice League and like, you're the person who can like summon a vacuum at will. And everyone's like, what? And you're like, yeah, I can make a vacuum come here. And everyone else is like, okay, well, that's not going to save the planet, but good for you, I guess. That's kind of like being a, a grammar phonetic synesthete. Like I'm like, I can memorize so quickly because I can tell when I'm not on, on the line because I yeah. see, I know that what I'm saying doesn't match the color that I feel in my head. So it makes me really quick with memorization. But other than that, it's kind of a worthless superpower, but I'm, <laughs> I'm still very, I'm still very proud to own it because for so many years, I thought I was just bonkers. Yeah, which seems like anybody with a skill like that, you would feel crazy, right? So that, that's why I was wondering, you know, when it comes yeah. to memorizing, it has to look so melodic and orchestral to you when you're reading the lines it should be I don't want to say like easier to memorize but there's a connotation there that very few people have that's insane yeah so there's if, one there's one other version of synesthesia that I have which is a little more a little weirder which is I have a little bit of um sight smell overlap so certain people 
certain things will, I'll smell things when I see them. And there's certain things or like, I'll be watching a movie and someone will be on the movie screen, will be in the film and I'll be like, oh, they smell unpleasant. And then I'm like, damn it, what in the world? Like that is, why? Get out of my head. That's, that's so, I'm sure the person smells like roses or cologne or whatever the hell, you know? But anyway, that's, that's, that's my weird synesthete stuff. That's just fair. I had to ask that because as I was reading more about it, I thought I've never heard of this before. I need to ask you, you know, what's your perspective on it? And uh, yeah, I just, sorry, I had to throw a curveball your way when we started the episodes or else it was going to eat me up as we're talking. I wouldn't be able to fully just like focus in, um, but that's fantastic. Uh, for those of you who, you know, never thought about it, look into it because it's really, really interesting. And yeah. yeah, that's, I always had sort of a, a sight smell form of that when I was younger and it'll come back every now and again, something similar to what you have where, you know, you'll see somebody and you go, yeah, you know, like, eh, it's not, they're not great. Uh, so, you know, going to like Sundance, things like that. There's some people I'd have to just fake a smile and shake their hand. Like, yeah, this is really good to meet you. Oh my God. Look into this. Disgusting. Look, oh my God. <laughs> see, and then you're like, why did you give me this over? You know, you're kind yeah. of like, who I didn't I don't want to think like oh no I don't want to think that like thanks body yeah anyway. like, they're great people can't stand around them um all right Man. I'm gonna I'm gonna hop off that tangent and uh, I want to go sure. back you know after you brought up you know growing up with that and <laughs> thinking that you're a little bonkers I do want to ask when did you because I've you know listened to some interviews with you but uh when did you you know, decide you're going to pursue acting full-time or was it something you just sort of fell into and thought, all right, I'll give it a shot. I seem to be pretty good at it. Why not? Mm. You know, um, I'm sure you've heard me say this and it's because, um, well, cause I'm, I'm a broken record, but, uh, it's, it's also cause it's just true, which is that this is all, this is, this, this is my, one of my body's, um, highest and best, best uses. This is, this is something that, you know, regardless of what the outside world thinks, um, or what kind of feedback or validation I get, um, that I'm supposed to do. And I've known that since I was old enough to talk and I spent my entire childhood, you know, obsessively watching old movies and going to plays my you know my mom and dad would take me to plays and they they you know raised me on old movies and on lots of great films and um encouraged me in that way and uh which is such a gift um and I grew up writing my own plays that I would direct in and star in and force my sister and my cousins to perform with me every summer and I would make our whole family come and watch and you know my all the adults would just drink as much as they could get in their bodies to like get through one of my like two hour opuses or like us lip syncing all of Bye Bye Birdie. I mean, just horrible things. But um, I, I think this is just, this has always been me in my most, um, my most revealed uh, truthful iteration. But I was in, I would say I was in undergrad. Um, I came into school as a, journalism major i i went i cycled through all these different majors i was a i wanted to, to major in spanish i wanted to major in journalism i wanted to major in anthropology i was interested in going pre-med for a while i started kind of dabbling 
taking classes, you know, uh, biting at things. And it, it didn't occur to me yet that I had done plays all through middle school and high school, that I loved drama. I just, um, drama capital D, not drama little d. Um, and, but I just couldn't, I was very academic and I liked, I liked sports and I thought, oh, well, you know, this is this other thing that I just love to do, but I don't get to just do that for my life, you know? And then it just kind of hit me like as a personal revelation in, in undergrad that I've been circling around the concept of human stories and the human experience. And that's present in language and medicine and anthropology and, you know, in journalism, uh, it was just wanting to be a part of uh, the cathartic experience of re revealing the human experience. And I, I just couldn't name it because I didn't think that that was a real possibility, even though it was this little jewel in me in my heart of hearts for as long as I can remember. So I, I committed to it in, in undergrad at my sophomore year, I, I transferred to the theater department and, um, and I just, I never looked back. Would you say, I mean, it sounds like, would you say you always had a high level of empathy for others? Yes. Yeah. I, I am, I think people refer to it as a hyper empath. Mm -hmm. um, and that I don't say to pat myself on the back. I say that because that is a, that is a gift and a curse, you know? <laughs> Yeah. absorbing and being in touch with other people's feelings it can it can create a lot of people pleasing and um you know a lot of just kind of hyper awareness anxiety i was just riddled with anxiety and um you know not really fully knowing how to in exist inside my body and then taking on everyone else's stuff as well and feeling what other people were were feeling and the more the more I got to know myself, the more I was able to kind of deal with that in a healthy way. But yeah, I've been, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong, almost lifelong vegetarian. I'm a, um, I'm, I'm vegan now, but you know, I'm very tender and sensitive about animals. And, you know, I just, I feel like, I don't know, my, my fourth chakra is very open. I'm open and in that way. And you know, um, I feel very moved by other people and, you know, watching them be alive and observing other people be alive and try, you know, to trying to endure and find light. So, yeah, I, I think I've always been empathic. I yeah. Say. Just going along with, with what you had said, you know, as you were making the transition and uh, especially when it came to the catharsis in performing a lot of actors are you know really wonderful empaths and you know like I said it's a, it's a blessing and it's a curse so where do you draw the line from you know separating yourself from the outside world to say an audition or a self-tape but still holding on to that empathy do you have a process you go under to kind of give yourself a clean slate, but also be mm. vulnerable to all these feelings. I know it can be really, really hard, especially if you're going into a room after you just spent days in traffic and say you got a parking ticket and you're going to do the singing, make sure you're memorized. You know, what's your process of confronting that? Yeah. 
I think something I learned when I was um, in grad school, uh, I went to NYU and I got my MFA class of 2017. I love NYU so much. I love it. <laughs> it, it gave me my, it saved my life. It gave me my life back, um, reoriented me. And one of the many great lessons I learned there was that I had a teacher, um, a mentor named Jim Calder. And um, something that he taught us over and over again was, you know, I used to think that um, great art came from, uh, from pain. I used to think that if you had all these feelings and this like pain and, you know, darkness inside you, which I had in, you know, in droves, um, that that's what made you really sensitive and great, you know? And I think the freedom that I got, the re kind of the reorienting of my mind around art making that I got from Jim was that all offerings of art are joy. They can be joy, even suffering, even sadness, even if you have to come in and do a scene where you have to weep over your, you know, dead, the dead body of, a, of your lover or something that the it's play. It's play because it is essentially imaginative pretending that you have the privilege of living out. So if you can, for me, changing the nature of how I thought about an audition room, right? It's like, if I've had a really tough day, I get to go into a room and play, right? And if I feel like I can't shake the day, then to me, I think the same principles that apply to spiritual principles apply to art making principles. Cause I do think art is spiritual. And I think that radical acceptance is the only way to make truthful art, you know? And so the concept of, if I come into an audition room and I've had a crappy day and been in a car accident and I, if I'm coming in with material and I say, okay, this feeling that I'm carrying in here, um, it belongs. It's welcome. There's a place for this. And I don't know what that place is going to be, but if I try and deny it, that's when I get into deep, deep trouble. Because I think if you're denying, then you're probably lying and you're probably not accessing or, or not getting as much access to your honest, you know, whatever the honest moment is going to be. So, I mean, for me, it's, it's a lot of um, being, trying to be radically present before I go into an audition room, seeing what's going on and saying, okay, these feelings are moving. I'm, I'm anxious about this audition. I'm, um, I'm nervous. Um, oh, I care. Oh, I care. That's great. This, that, that, that belongs here. I care. Beautiful. Um, okay. I'm prepared. Um, that's, that helps me, that helps yeah. me big time because then, you know, especially when it's, when it comes, you know, when it's in terms of coming into a, an audition room, uh, the, the beauty of being in the room with people feeling like I am fully prepared lets me know that no matter what experience I'm bringing into the room, I can say, Hey, I've done my homework. I know where I am. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm here to do, not to feel, but to do. And I can just go with curiosity into that and say, you know, this is me today. You're welcome. So that's the, that's the, that's the best version of 
myself on a stressful day coming into an audition. And the worst is, you know, having an off day and not being able to center and, and, and finding a way through anyway, or, or not, and just having a happy audition and going, okay, wow, I really wasn't present for that. You know, I was really projecting into the future. I was obsessing over the past. I wasn't really in the room. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. I I love that. And speaking to your form of prep, has your prep changed at all? You know, going from where a lot of us start, which is, you know, uh, say background to co-star to guest star to series regular, has your prep changed at all, uh, you know, for each role or has it sort of, you know, I guess you could say grown, but also stayed the same. Um, so my background is that I have kind of a, um, I have kind of a, a lot of influences that fed into where I am now. You know, I went to an undergrad program where I actually got a, a music theater degree. I went and studied at a two-year Meisner training program, Maggie Flanagan in New York, which is, you know, um, the best. And, <laughs> and then I went to grad school at NYU. So as I've moved through that, and in between, I was working in regional theater. I was doing, you know, um, I worked in a repertory company. I was doing, you know, commercial auditions and indie films and stuff. And I think as you go, the more information you gather, the more you, you hopefully you kind of get curious about what your process is going to be instead of getting really didactic about it um, and really rigid about it. So I would say that what has been consistent for me which got instilled in me at Maggie Flanagan, I think, is there are things that you must do when you're prepping, which is you have to know, you have to, you have to do your homework, right? You have to do it and do it well and do it as well as you can in the time that you have so that when you come to the space, you can leave that homework because it's in your body, it's cellular, right? And so you will make choices from a place of, um, of be, fitting inside the world you're trying to create. So for me, that's reading the script thoroughly. That's knowing who wrote the script and the and the, the tone of the pieces that they write, watching their other stuff, if there's other things for me to see. Um, you know, that's, that's how I prepare for like a, an audition, right? And then doing the rigorous text work of knowing you know, what's, what's the arc of the scene and, um, where do I begin and where do I end the scene? And they're, they're going to be different. Um, crafting some choices that allow me to feel like I'm going to walk a path and, um, and I'm going to walk a path in a directional way that has to do with me understanding the world of the play or film or movie. Um, when it comes to working on like Resident Alien, my prep, um, I would say I've gotten good at trusting that I know who and where I am, right? And listening to what's on the page and saying, okay, like, what is it? What am I doing here? And what do I, what do I want here? And um, working from a place of more, I would say now it's more joy and more curiosity. It's more, um, being willing to go out on the skinny branches and make risks, uh, take risks, make choices. Um, instead of, I think before I feel like I had to figure out how to get the scene right. And now I think I'm a little more willing to be 
um, to make mistakes in front of other people, mistakes, you know? Um, but I think the core of my, my prep is, is the same level of, of rigor of homework so that when I get to the actual material that I can breathe easy, that helps me. Cause I'm like, no, I've done my homework. I know where I am. I know where I am. I know what the tone of this world is, right? I, I know how to, I know how to exist inside this world. And now my only job is to respond to what I'm being given instead of to be worrying about generating a bunch of stuff on my own, you know, this myopic obsession with my, your own work. It's not, you know, everything will be in your scene partner if, you, if you've done your homework and just, just listen to them. So, yeah. Is that? Yeah, no, that, that answers it amazingly. Cause I know, I know, uh, you know, you had, worked in theater beforehand and I actually I do want to ask really quick are you still working in theater when you're not on set say for you know break from resident alien or are you just kind of using that time to decompress no I I'm I love the theater I love the rigor of the theater I love an eight show week on a stage with a great cast of people who are just working their asses off every single night I love a rehearsal process I have had the good fortune to work with um, Jessica Stone, who directed me, has directed me three times over, since I got out of grad school in 2017. Um, I, uh, she's an incredible director. Um, and, you know, I, I bring her up because we've had these, I'm, I'm craving another collaboration with her. And I've been craving getting back on stage. I haven't been on stage since the summer of 2019 when I did As You Like It at the Old Globe. Um, because I've been working in television, but I, oh, I will never stop doing theater. It's a, it's, it's, it's a different kind of hard. And as an athlete, it feels, you know, you're just exhausted at the end of, of a show. Um, and I think it's, it's great for the actor muscle to, to just keep that to keep that rigor, keep those muscles really strong and, and, you know, your work ethic really high. And it's a whole different process, you know, (laughs) you know, being able to fill a performance that fills, you know, that reaches a thousand people versus a performance where really you have to do everything just, just here, you know, is, um, they're so different, but they're, they're, I think they're equally important to kind of maintaining and like growing your instrument. So no, I'll never stop doing theater ever. I would love to do another play. I've, I've told my, told my reps, I'm like, <laughs> Hey, um, let's go. You know, we're about to wrap season two uh, of resident alien and I'm going to have a little bit of time and I would love to do a play. So tell you yeah. what, there's a lot of experimental theater in Colorado right now. Really? Yeah, it's a little insane. My my co-host Steph, who couldn't be here today, she's she's working super hard. Uh, she's a stage manager, and she's constantly awesome. working on all these wonderfully experimental, you know, theater pieces. I mean, my favorite piece of theater of all time, my favorite play is Fences. I I, I love it. it. Makes me cry. I love it to death. Um, but I have to commend you for you know loving theater that much that you we will go through that rigorous work ethics. I've I've seen everything theater performers do and it's it blows my mind and I'm just sitting over here in crafty because they're waiting for a lighting setup and like, oh this job's so hard you know mm. it's it's um yeah like I said it's a, it's a different kind of hard but it pays off so much bigger I can only imagine you know eight shows in a week and you know even if one show say doesn't go you know to your liking you have seven other chances so that's just fantastic and I do 
wonder, you know, it seems like you were doing theater before you made the transition into film. So what was that like moving from one to the other, or at least, you know, say you get a co-star role. Um, what was that like internally? Did you feel as if maybe, eh, I want to say no, or what was your journey like uh, transitioning? Say no to, 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 uh, doing- to TV. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, a lot of, I think a lot of strides are being taken in television. I think TV is evolving into a form where like you have like, the, you know, I just worked on the offer and it's this, it's essentially a, you know, it's a 10 episode limited series. It's essentially like you get to make a film yeah. in yeah. 10 episodes, right? So, and I think there's a lot of incredible, storytelling going on in television and there are so many incredible writers uh and and directors coming into the world of tv and kind of like blowing the form apart and you know all of these streaming services there's just so much content so there's a lot of innovation happening in tv and um and i i have really been interested in being a part of that um i grew up being a theater kid but i've always loved cinema you know and I I wasn't you know I think I had a little bit of imposter syndrome like there was this part of me that thought well you know um maybe maybe I'll you know maybe I'll be able to make make art maybe I'll be able to you know for some reason I thought of myself as I have the rigor and the work ethic you know for the theater and I can do it but I didn't know I guess I guess I didn't trust that if you got that close, yeah, that's a really, you know, vulnerable thing to say, but I, I guess I just didn't trust that if you got that close that anyone would want to watch, would want to watch me. Oh, interesting. I don't know what that is. I think that's, I think that's just a thing that I carry as a woman and as a, just as a, as a person, whatever, what I bring to the table, but it took me a little bit of time to feel like I would figure out how to be intimate with a camera and feel like I belonged there. Um, and grad school helped with that, helped prep me for that. I had done some, some film um, and a tiny bit of TV before I went to grad school, but, but they were all, nothing was stacking up, you know, everything was like, lateral it was like I do a job here I do a job here but that that does not a uh you know a career make so I I felt like um when that transition happened when I started booking some you know some guest guest star jobs after grad school the biggest transition for me was one I really had to face myself and say hey the imposter syndrome thing is not going to help you now because you're, you're here Someone else, lots of other people who were in charge of this decision decided that you belonged here. So you need to get on board with that because if you don't, you're going to waste a lot of people's time. And a TV set, man, I'll tell you what, like our crew on Resident Alien are the hardest working people. I mean, nobody works harder than the crew. The crew just blows my mind. There are so many people on a TV set working so hard to get the shot just right and the light just right and the sound just right so that you can sometimes say three words you know so being able to show up front-footed and say I'm here I'm supposed to be here and I'm going to do my job that was a transition for me I had to go through a little you know private 
you know, oh, shoot. Oh, oh God. Oh God. Here we go. Um, and I also think I had to learn to adjust the size of my truth. Cause I think that honest acting is honest acting. Right. But there's a lot of ways to create. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunity for style, a lot of size of your truth, right. In the theater that you, if you're filling a space, that's a, you know, a thousand seats, the size of your truth can be, can expand past your body, but on a camera where moving your eye tells a story, your truth, not mumble. I'm not talking about mumblecore, but your truth has to get, you know, like a dropper it's condensed. Everything you do has value. So I learning that by watching other people who were, and listening to my friends who worked in television and my mentors who worked in television and watching other people do that, watching great performances and going, okay, okay. I, I know how to make honest choices and how to listen and respond. I just need to figure out how to be intimate with the camera. And that takes practice and time. So. Yeah. It seemed, I mean, coming from somebody who's never done theater, but has watched theater, it almost seems like that's, that is an ensemble and you are part of a larger piece, but when it comes down to the camera, it's just, Oh, you know, that imposter syndrome comes up and you're, you're stuck with it. I'd say the best form of a, it's almost like a, a torture therapy is join a mocap project where they have the camera this close to your face because mm. they will peel you apart and say, you're moving your mouth too much. Your, your eye twitches a little bit when you say this or say that. Uh, but yeah, when you brought up the intimacy and bring down your truth and thank you for saying mumblecore, by the way, appreciate it. All mm. the film nerds like me love that. Uh, <laughs> it's um, yeah, that's definitely a, a very vulnerable spot to, to put yourself through. And yeah, I do want to sort of transition into when you picked up resident alien you know, I assume you probably sent in a, a self-taper audition. What was the process like for that? Because you're going from, you know, recurring to from recurring guest star, co-star to series regular. So what was it like navigating that new path? Well, here's the funny thing is that I am technically, I am not a series regular on Resident Alien, but I was really? in every, ep- no, I was in every episode of, of the first season. I'm in all but one of the second. And that is an interesting thing because, um, that has a, well, I'll, t- I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that, but, but what I will say about that is if I had been a, a series regular uh, this season, I wouldn't have been able to do uh, things like the offer, um, you know, some other projects I've done. And um, so it's an interesting balancing act, those things. And those are all kind of businessy things about like how you craft your, um, how you manage your time and where you manage it and how you do that. But through the good graces of the people at um, UCP, our resident aliens, you know, studio and Paramount, I was able to navigate, um, you know, being a heavily recurring guest star on the offer and being essentially a series regular on resident alien. And that is because of the um, generosity and hard work of my manager, Ashley Vickery and my agent John Mason and our showrunner Chris Sheridan on Resident Alien, who all conspired to make that, to work on that and make that possible for me. Um, because it is, that stuff is hard during COVID flying back and forth every couple of weeks from LA to Vancouver in a time where any travel at all and where COVID is everywhere. You know, a lot of people moved mountains for me to do that. Um, so just shout out to my people real quick to say, 
God bless them for doing that. But <laughs> to answer your question, um, Resident Alien was Sarah Tomko is Sarah Tomko who plays Asta Twelve Trees on Resident Alien is my best friend. She has been. She and I went to undergrad together. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have known each other a long time. And um, and it's insane. I was in Los Angeles uh, visiting her when I found out that she had booked Resident Alien and we were celebrating. I was in her living room. I was about to head back to the East Coast to start uh, the run of a show, uh, at a theater. And, um, I got a call from my manager who said, Hey, um, you know, I'm wondering, I know you're about to start that cross country trip, but could you stay, could you just stay one more day? There's an audition for a really good show. And I said, you know, I can't, I gotta go and I gotta get going. I start my trip. And he said, well, it's for the show called resident alien. And I was standing in front of Sarah and I was like, okay. Okay. So I said, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll stay. So I got off the phone and was like, I'm auditioning for your show tomorrow. And she was like, you know, and she's very connected. So she was just like, Whoop. she's like, okay. Okay. We both kind of felt the magic coming. I had an in-person audition in Los Angeles that was lovely and, um, and warm. I could already feel a good vibe from the casting folks. And, um, and I started my cross country trip in good faith, thinking I was going back to start the, the run of the show. And, um, but when I was in Texas with my grandmother, they called me and said, Hey, you're in the mix for this. So, um, is there any way, uh, you could get to Atlanta to, go into a room to do a Skype audition with the, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me, the director and the showrunner creator. Oh and I was like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and I had, I don't remember how many hours I had, but I got to Louisiana and then they said, can you be in Atlanta tomorrow? <clears throat> so I drove for, I woke up at five. I left at six. I got into Atlanta at like five, um, slapped on some makeup, went upstairs to an, to the space and got on the Skype and was like, Hey, I'm here. This is my dog. My dog is with me. If he barks, I'm sorry. <laughs> Them breaks. Let's do this. And it was an incredible meeting. We laughed a lot. And, um, and then I went to go start the run of the play. And I was, I was at the theater the night before the first table read when I heard that I was the choice for this show. Yeah. Oh so, my God. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So I, had, <laughs> I had to, I had to leave, I had to leave the show, which is hard. And those are kind of some hard decisions in the career of an actor. It's uncomfortable, um, especially because I loved the play. Um, I loved the theater and I loved the director and the creative team. Um, but I knew in my gut that this was my, this, I knew, I knew, and I knew that because Sarah was involved, that it was, yeah. it was a beacon for me, that that was, that was what I was supposed to be doing. And so I did it. Yeah. That is probably the most realistic 
you know, audition story I've ever heard. Some people just think, oh yeah, you, you hear it from your phone at your job or something. And then you, you know, you have a couple of weeks and you get to fly out somewhere. No, you're, you're still living your no. life and you got to manage all of that. That's, that's just fantastic. I mean, the show is amazing. I love the show. I, I'm waiting till the entire second season is out before I watch it. Uh, Cause I'm that person. I know it's really tough. I'm ignoring Google right now. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Restraint. Oh man. It's, it's a lot. I, mean, it, I I'll look on, uh, on Peacock. Like, no, I'm just going to watch the office. <laughs> I can't touch resident alien right now. Well, you know, we just dropped, we just had the mid season finale last night and then yeah. we don't start up again until like end of summer for the last eight episodes. End of summer. <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of like a, it's a two, it's like one season in two parts. So you kind of can watch the whole eight, digest it, okay. take a minute, and then wait oh, for the second. That hurts so bad. I didn't think about end of summer. Okay, all right. Well, if you want it to have a nut, nut, you're gonna get it. If you go one, if you watch two hundred one to two hundred eight, you're gonna get it. You're gonna oh, get. Damn that. it. Okay, you convinced. I didn't. Yeah, I thought. Eh, you know, maybe oh, it's dear. May or June. <laughs> I didn't think about end of summer because I mean you said you're you're shooting the second half right now so of course you know yeah we're wrapping take right time. now yeah oh my goodness um well I mean the, the show is a, a smash hit you have all these amazing people in this very lovely and enticing story I mean I I've always been a fan of Alan Tudyk but you watch this show Mainly, I like he draws you in, but then the rest of you guys just you pull on the heartstrings so tough, it's incredible. So, I'd, I mean, obviously, they're different characters, but going from Resident Alien to the offer, which is, you know, somewhat of a uh, it, it's fairly grounded in its realism based on what actually happened, you know, for pre production of the, the Godfather, right? So, it's not like a crazy, uh, surreal show, but what was your uh, I guess your approach to the offer as opposed to resident alien, of course, it's all on the subtext of the, the script itself, but did you have anybody, maybe you were honing in as far as um, previous characters or other actors, anybody you were kind of looking at as inspiration outside of, you know, I assume you're playing somebody who existed during this, right? Oh yeah. I'm um, I play Ali McGraw who was, you know, in the in the you know beginning of the 1970s um you know was was when love story came out um was the biggest star in the world and um it is a completely different different experience playing obviously playing Ali McGraw and playing Kate Hawthorne one because um for so many reasons but if we're you know just nuts and bolts Kate is the creation of the genius creation of, of, uh, Chris Sheridan. And as we have, and the, and the, you know, the beautiful staff of writers. And as we have worked on the show, we have come together, you know, about Kate, you know, he asked me, it's, it's a, it's an un, it's an unparalleled experience being on a show like that, where, you know, it's, it's, it's the writer's genius and creation, but we are, we I feel integrated into the experience. And I feel like, you know, what, what I brought to playing Kate, um, the writers were able to turn up, you know, and see how Kate Hawthorne sat on me. And with Ali McGraw, you know, one, I've always been obsessed with her. I, uh, 
I think obviously she was a style icon. She is, uh, she's a beautiful, compelling, um, you know, presence and actress. And also, you know, her, the way she talks about the world, the way she um, talks about recovery. Her, I, I read, the first thing I did was I read her autobiography, you know, multiple times. I watched everything I could um, about her, her interviews, her work. Um, I listened to other people's perspectives on, on her. Um, she was married to Robert Evans, who was the head of Paramount when uh, The Godfather got made. And he was one of the people who championed, you know, the making of that film, got that film made. Um, and so figuring out reading his autobiography, you know, and uh, listening to the way he talked about her. And so there was so much research for me that went into the beginning of the process because she's alive. She is a person. And in some ways, you know, playing Kate um, is less daunting because she is an imaginative person, right? Mm -hmm. Who we're creating. But Ali McGraw is living and I, I had to find a way to make peace with the fact that I will never be Ali McGraw. I mean, me on my best day, her on her <laughs> worst day, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the woman is, is now and was then um, a paragon of, of beauty. And uh, I had to kind of make peace with that and say, <laughs> hey, they cast you. This is not your job to worry about it anymore. It's your job to, to do her justice. So, um, you know, I did a lot of, of research about the way she moved and spoke. I hired uh, Jane Fujita, my dialect coach from NYU, who I trust with my life. I did, um, you know, a ton of dialect work uh, in creating and trying to find a way to honor her cadence and her speech because it's so, um, it's such an indicator of, of her, where she comes from and how she holds herself and, but not to mimic her, you know, to find where that sits on my instrument, how I, how I sit in my body as Ally McGraw. So it was a really different process. The tone of the pieces is very different. Um, and in that way, it was kind of, it was easier to do them both than it would have been if I was playing two characters who were just like a hair's breadth different from one another, because that, you know, the difference in the two projects is, is really stark. They're, they're both, they're both um, truthful, honest portrayals, but you know, one is a dramedy, and 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 you know, uh, there's so much comedy in Resident Alien, but um, and one about an imaginative character, and one is a real person who is still currently living, existing in the in a period piece, right? Uh, a period piece about people who really had an experience. So figuring out how to do that justice was, you know, as I said, it was a, it was a very different process. Did you get a chance to meet her? No. And I think that, I mean, I would love to meet her, yeah. but I couldn't take that on while I was working because I think, I think reading her book she moves me so much and I'm so aligned with so many of the things that she values. And I so respect her as a human being that meeting her 
and then feeling this, I think that would have doubled the sense of, I hope I do her justice. Oh God, oh God, you know? And that at a certain point, I have to let that go. I have to be, I have to be able to put that down and say, I'm going to do my best um, to live inside of this role and recognize that it will not be exactly who she is because that is impossible, but it will be as true as I can make it. And I would love to meet her after, but, you know, um, I also respect her privacy and, you know, we'll see what she thinks of it. I, yeah. I we'll see what she thinks of me being her. I just feel like that's gotta be <laughs> weird, you know? And like, like she's got better things to do anyway. She's amazing. She's like living in Santa Fe, being yeah. gorgeous and beautiful and um, enlightened and in her body. And, you know, if I'm she sure ever it, wants to meet me, yeah, I'm game. So. I mean, there has to be a curiosity, right? If you hear somebody's playing you, I'd at least be a little curious. Like, all right, well, who is it? <laughs> well, Elle Fanning is playing her in a film version. So I'm like, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm just a dork. There's not, you know, it's not going to be, I'll probably just weep a lot. That's kind of what I do. I'll just weep a lot. So um, anyway, maybe someday. Well, yeah, you never know, especially in this industry. Paths cross all the time when you least expect it, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, is there a group of creatives or maybe even, I don't know, it could be a singular person that you'd like to work with one day? <sighs> And that's a really well, tough question. But. It's a really hard question. And I, I could literally sit here and, and answer that um, for four hours. Um, we'll start the clock now. Oh, my uh, goodness. <laughs> You're going to be sorry you asked. Um, okay. So, you know, a person whose work on stage and in film, but on stage has always um, just knocked me out is uh, Mark Rylance. Um, I have seen him in like everything that he, you know, has brought to the stage in the States. And, um, and I'll just never forget seeing him in Labette, a play he did. And, um, oh God, I don't even know, 20, uh, I don't even know in the, uh, 20 something, uh, in New York (laughs) time is weird since COVID, but, um, I'll never forget watching him walk on stage and going, oh my God, I have no idea what he's going to do. And his play, his sense of joy, watching him play Richard and Richard II and watching him, you know, this, um, this character that is often portrayed as villainous and rooting for him from the moment he opens his mouth because He's so joyful and alive. That thing about everything is joy. Even sadness is joy. It's curiosity. He's really there with you. Everything, Jerusalem. He was in this play called Jerusalem where I just, I went back and saw it and saw it and just wept because I want to be up there out on the skinny branches with Mark Rylance going, I don't know, but we're going to find out together. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That, I mean- Lois Smith, who is a hero of mine. She's an original member of Steppenwolf. She was in, you know, you'd know her from 100 million things, but in film, you would know her from East of Eden. You would know her from Twister. You would know her from, I think she was in True Blood. She has been in like all of Horton Foote's stuff on stage. Um, She's a legend. 
And again, she's a person when I go to see her in the theater, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I have no idea what she's going to do. I have no idea what she's going to do. I am just riveted. Um, I have a, I have a dear friend who just got out of uh, Juilliard. Um, she got out in 2018. Her name is Brittany Bradford. If you don't know who she is now, you will. Um, because she is the most compelling young actress that I have, you know, ever watched. And I, um, she's in the new show, Julia on, um, uh, oh, on, no way. on HBO. Yeah. yeah. And she, uh, I think she plays the head, she plays the head producer of, of Julia Child's TV show. Um, I can't wait to see it. It's coming out soon. Um, she's a person that I, I just, you know, uh, I want to work with her. I want to work with her. I want to make art with her because I feel like she's, you know, um, she's, I've watched her so many times on stage. I've watched her work and I'm just like, oh, that is truthful. She moves me. She moves me every time I watch her work. Um, I mean, seriously, I could go on. I could go on. <laughs> I'm like I just touched theater. I'm like, I could go into film. I mean, obviously that, you know, there's so many amazing young people who are making art right now and making great TV right now. I, <sighs> <laughs> no, I, lo I, I love that you got lost in it too. <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm serious. I could sit here and be like, well, this and this, I mean, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you know, there's so oh, many God, people, yes. you know, that like yeah. who's, there's so many people who are creating imaginative, um, imagine, imaginative, uh, incredible, television and film and anyway i just i could go on i could go on no on. those are those are perfect candidates and answers i mean i know that's an end not an endless list but there's more to it and it's the beauty of being this industry right is you're more than likely going to meet those people or work with them at some point or another yeah uh, especially your friend i could see you guys you know if you and sarah have worked on a show together can do that you will be in a show or some kind of performance with britney in the future that's I that's a given. I'm, I'm like, like, you know, I'm, Manifest like, it. I'm looking for, I'm just looking for that constantly. <laughs> I'm looking for I'm look her up because bring her on your show. Cause she's, oh, heck yeah. she's the smartest, fiercest, uh, actress, human citizen person. And oh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm a huge, huge fan. And anyway, Oh, I'm totally, I, I will definitely reach out to her. I know I, uh, I reached out to, to Sarah as well. So now knowing your story, that <laughs> I'll have to circle back around in the next few months and see uh, when everybody's free. But uh, yeah, I, I'll uh, narrow it down to our last few questions here. This one is a really fun one. It's just our party story question. So we like to ask all of our guests, do you have a story that sticks out so much in your mind? It doesn't have to be arts related, but something that happened in your life that you have held on to and you could tell at a party without any sort of hiccup whatsoever. Do you have a, a story like that that just kind of sticks with you? Oh my God, I do, but it's not um, PG. Oh, we're, I rate it under explicit in this podcast because you know people can curse, tell their stories, names redacted, whatever it is, you can tell us. I'm like deciding whether or not I should tell this story because... <laughs> Like as long mother. as nobody died i think we're all right nobody died no one was no one was injured uh, maybe emotionally but no one was injured <laughs> um my god my god uh, 
I could see it just like playing out in your eyes right now. What I'm really doing, <laughs> what I'm really doing is I'm looking for another story that's as good so I don't have to tell this story. I'm there like, do I have a better one than this one? Hmm. It could be something that happened on Resident Alien too, or maybe a, a really bad audition experience you had. It could be absolutely anything. Oh my God. Yeah, give me some form because my brain is so nutso that I'll think yeah. of like a million. Give me some more. Give me some more. <laughs> Put me in a little box there. Like, give Let's, me a. Uh, any sort of awkward experiences you had with Alan on Resident Alien? Because you're performing with somebody who is a legit professional goofball. And, uh, you know, it could be that. Honestly, I'd love to hear more about, you know, your audition experience moving into you know tv and film if there is you know something crazy that just stood out to you but ends oh up just God. being part of the industry <laughs> okay okay well here is but this isn't this is not a great well i don't know this is just what it is we can okay. always bring you back in the future bring me back if, if, in, the middle, if in the middle yeah. of telling this i think of a better one i will switch gears okay that works um but okay so I was going in for, I sing, okay? But I would say singing is a thing that I really, I really have to be in a place where I believe that I, that I'm, that I, that I belong, right? Like I have to really be grounded in that because my body will just be like, no, you're lying. And with singing, you know, you really have to connect to your diaphragm, your first chakra, you've got to ground into the floor. You've got to, to let your voice really come out. Right. So I, I don't do as many musical auditions. I don't audition for musicals now kind of ever anymore, but I did, um, for a while when I got out of, um, of grad school and, um, (laughs) I got called in to audition for um, the musical of King Kong. And um, I was like, oh, fun. And like, you know, fun. I say yes. You know, I was just out of grad. And I say yes to everything, you know, everything because it's a learning experience. So I went in, I went in for this audition and, you know, I, you know, obviously learned the music and the sides and everything. And I, you know, I was in this long you know, pink dress and had these high heels on and was trying to look a little, you know, glamorous. And um, I walked into the room and the person in the room like was looking down. And if this person is ever watching this, like, I'm sorry, but this was my experience. (laughs) Um, They're like looking down and then they like looked up at me and then they like looked up at me and it like, it's hit me while I was standing there that I was auditioning for a person who has to be like picked up by an animatronic King Kong. And I'm, you know, I'm five, eight on my own. I'm standing like almost six feet right at this time. And I'm like, I am the King Kong. Like I <laughs> they one look at me and we're just like too much, too tall, you know? And I was just like, Oh, shit you know I just like <laughs> and my whole just my whole thing just was like hello you know and I just immediately was just 
false and not in my body. And my like diaphragm was like, we are not in service today. And, you know, they were kind of like, okay, let's just, you know, let's do the first, uh, do the yeah. first song. And I sort of sang it and I sort of, you know, like forgot what I was singing halfway through just the whole crappy nightmare. Oh, Didn't, you know, it got lost. And then it was just the actual nightmare, the thank you. And oh. I was like, no, thank, thank, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And me just like walking out into a waiting room filled with people who were like five feet tall, you know? And I was just like, oh my God. And that might've been a coincidence. It might've just been that they were, you know, but I was just like, that was a real, oh, am I awake? Like, is this happening? Or am I dreaming this really shitty audition experience? Cause this is, and what do you do in those moments? You just, you gotta go on, you know? You gotta go on, you gotta say, thank you at the end. Have a nice day. And you got to take that and drop it and be like, nope, that is not my responsibility anymore. That's not a kind of party story that I would tell. My party stories are usually pretty gross and raunchy. Um, <laughs> but I, um, for the sake of not humiliating uh, anyone I know, I'm going to just say, how's that for a party story? <laughs> Okay. Well, at that point you know in the future we'll just get you and sarah together to come back on the show oh. and i'll have to bleep so much i would assume <laughs> from well, i'm like i just you know i don't know maybe that's a defense mechanism is i just you know we were just doing some behind the scenes stuff for resin alien and yeah. with I, me and levi feeler who plays my my husband on the show and he and i are best friends and um every other comment i was like yeah but like sex and he was like what are you doing <laughs> I was I mean, like, yeah, it's they're really different yeah yeah like you you guys have worked together you know each other you're you're your best friends you know it's it, i could see it being a, a little weary when it's you know uh another actor that you are talking to over zoom that you have never met before so it's yeah. all about that like first impression thing right i want you to i want you to respect me at the end of right. this <laughs> It's okay. I used to do stand up. I respect a lot of people who've said some really bad stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, <laughs> here you go. But no, I, I I love that as a party story because it is very relatable, and I think we've all gone through that. I mean, I've been cast as uh, a urban youth, and you know, I am you know a quarter African American, but I don't look the part. So when you walk in, you realize this is not what I was supposed to be okay all right, I guess I'll just do it you do the audition and then you don't talk to your reps for a little bit <laughs> it's just can we, can it's we so just weird. talk about how much work our industry needs to do because oh god yes I mean we don't you know I understand that we're we're here to talk about me and my squirrely squirrely self or whatever I love the I, finger I, guns I, you're putting up by the way I know classic <laughs> defense mechanisms but uh uh, really, I love being on, love working in TV, but like take the, take the character away. And I'm like, whoa, I'm a, you know, I just do a bunch of, anyway, um, <laughs> no, our industry, we just, you know, I'm glad that we're finally figuring out how, that we're starting to figure out that there's a huge fucking problem. Um, and 
you know, I, I want to be, if you talk about wanting to collaborate with people, right. Circling back to that, I want to collaborate with people who are, who are making art that deconstructs that, um, the, you know, the deconstructs the gender biases, the racial biases, the class biases that deconstruct heteronormativity. You know, I'm queer myself. I'm, I'm married to a, I'm a, I'm married to a, a, a gentleman, a person who identifies as a, as a man. Um, but I, you know, I feel myself that I don't exactly know how I fit in to, um, you know, the, the experience of, I'm trying to figure that out myself, how to navigate that, how, I, how to be a queer woman married to a man and, and how much I care about um, giving voice and space to uh, people whose stories need to be told that haven't been told and how many of those there are. I mean, Resonalian, we talk a lot about the fact that the indigenous community has been virtually just silenced yeah. or, or caricaturized in the history of, of cinema and um, how important it is uh, to be a part of, and we've had incredible uh, indigenous writers um, and actors on our show, but I want to, I want to collaborate with people who are um, trying to figure out how to create more than just equity, how, how to create, uh, you know, an artistic community that doesn't center around the same people in power telling the same stories. And yeah, so who that's, those are, you know, I just, I just, you said that about going in for auditions and just made me think of, we've just, you know, we've just got to start, we've just really got to start doing a different and the people with all the money and the power have to be the people to fix it. Not the people who've been, marginalized or silenced or taken advantage of trying to crawl uphill to fix things uh anyway and i i just you know i hear myself i'm having a little soapbox moment but no it's it's heavily warranted because i think all of us who are of you know even of those who aren't ethnic you know quote unquote as far as actors go i feel like everybody's in the same spot and it seems like this year there there are methods to making that sort of sense of inclusion better without it being, uh, you know, some sort of like politicized. Hey, we did it, uh, so now we're we're cool, right? Like we did that one thing, and so I I see I see a change compared to you know when I when I first fell into acting, I was cast as a an East Indian IT expert and had to do a voice, and it was horrible. I hope it it mm. has been burned. Mm. uh that was but I was 19 what the hell did I know you know I decided okay this is the industry um but yeah, no you that's tell me, you tell me do you feel do you feel a change being inside it because you know I'm let's talk about it I'm sitting in a position of ignorance and privilege and being inside the body of a, of a white woman so I have lim- limitations you tell me instead of me telling you if you feel like for you it's changing do you I feel, feel like different? I, I feel like I think you're I, I agree that you're you're right we still have a long way to go but I am seeing things improving. I don't know how fast they're going to go. Uh, but, you know, there's there's different things now where they're offering showcases. Big studios are offering showcases for those who are marginalized. And I have submitted to a lot of them. I'm waiting to hear if anything goes through. But uh, that and then the roles, too. I mean, there's 
there is growth. I just, it's not on a mass scale yet. And when it is like, Hey man, it's going to be amazing. That's going to be a great industry to work in. But for right now, I'm just looking at, okay. Uh, twenties to thirties, ethnically ambiguous. Cool. I don't know where they're going with that. And then I see the final product and it's, you know, it's a white guy, <laughs> just, like, but you know, well, I also have to see the, you know, right person gets the job. So I give it the benefit of the doubt, a benefit of the doubt most of the time. Uh, I, I do see, you know, chances, uh, this year, uh, in particular for, for me, I haven't caught our listeners up, but, you know, I started gaining a lot more traction, you know, just, I, I did a movie five years ago and then years go by, I did a co-star and then another year goes by and things are now, it seems like traction is starting to grab gravel. So I'm right. hoping, you know, to, I see shows like resident alien, and I see reservation dogs and I see you know, people, cause I, I am, you know, I'm native as well. So I, I see those things and I'm, I, that's so cool. You know, I just want to be like on the set. I don't care what I'm doing. I'll do crafty. Who cares? Uh, mm. But yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I how see. Good. How good is Reservation Dogs? Oh God. I love that show so much. It, Tazba and Tommy, Tazba. Uh, oh my God. We've had so many Whew, um, we have a lot of creative uh, overlap. Uh, you know, Tazba, yeah. who was our a writer for us first season, Tommy Pico. Um, we've just we've had a lot. I, we're we're huge. Uh, I'm a I'm a huge Reservation Dogs fan. Um, anyway, anyway, it's amazing. It's amazing. Now now that we've we've had that that chat, I will pivot it back to our second to last question here, which is actually it does fit. Do you have any advice you can instill upon our listeners, whether it's, you know, those who are starting in the arts industry, those who are, you know, still in it and trying to make it worth their while and keep climbing uphill? Do you have anything that might help them uh, keep going or maybe something that you've learned? Yeah. Okay. Um, Here's the thing. I don't know anything, but... I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I can tell you from my own experience, I guess I know some things. I know what I've, I know what I've lived through. I'll say that. I know, I'll know what I've, I know what I've lived through. And I think that there's a tendency when we're young and we're hungry and we're new to let this industry kind of trick you into thinking you've got to figure out who you have to become in order to be worthy. And the truth is, the more you are yourself, the more you trust yourself, as in the person you really are, not the person who you think will please the most people, not the person who looks the way everyone else looks or sounds the way they sound, or has the same career path that they've had, the more you find out who you are, what makes you curious and alive, and the more you offer that thing, the farther you're gonna go. You can have a short career not being authentic and people-pleasing, you can have it. But longevity in this industry, I think, comes from knowing that who you're offering is, is who you really are inside and that you don't have to change yourself in order to be worthy. That 
that someone is going to look at you and say, this person is offering me something authentic and real and honest. And I see that. And that, that is, that is, I think the thing that, you know, you can get a lot of voices in your head in the beginning telling you, oh God, I've got to figure out how to fix myself and make myself this perfect machine that's, that's finally worthy of a career. And that's bullshit. It's the more you strip away, the more you remove between you and your honest creative expression, the longer you will make art. And it may take more time. And you know what? It may take more time. And I would say, who cares? But I think that comes from a, a, a very privileged perspective because there are a lot of people who have to worry about being an artist and making ends meet day in and day out. And I have been there. And, and I know that it's not as simple as saying, screw it. I'm just going to keep going and keep going. And there is a, there is a ton of sacrifice that goes into saying, I'm committed to this long-term. I'm committed to this for a lifetime. There's no shame in saying you're not committed to it for a lifetime. But if you are, if you're sick with it, if you're alive with it, if you have to make art, then there is an, a, a tremendous amount of sacrifice. But the thing not to sacrifice is your authentic self. That is not the thing to give away and to give up in the service of becoming bookable because you can't build a career off of that. And in the end, it takes, I think, and I'm working on that myself as an artist. I haven't found that. I'm working constantly to strip away anything that gets between me and telling the truth and breathing in and out and speaking from a place that feels honest and real. And that doesn't have to be me playing myself. It can be honest and real in, in the form of clown, but you know, a, cl a cl clown work can be, it, it is the most honest, the most real sometimes, you know, it doesn't, the form doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, hyper-realism or whatever. But the point is don't, let the industry trick you into thinking that you're not worthy. You were born worthy. And if you're inside of a body and living and breathing, you're holy. And what you bring to the table is going to heal someone if you let them see it. And that's, you know, maybe a little woo-woo and spiritual, but that's what I, that's what I believe. So, yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I don't think anyone's brought that up. So I really appreciate you acknowledging that too, the, the whole authentic self and not losing that in this industry that can try to tear that away from you. That's, hmm. uh, no, I, I really appreciate that. Cause I think I needed to hear that for this week for, for some stuff. So thank you first and foremost for, for sharing that. I, uh, I feel really bad. <laughs> you know, I, I promised your agent, yeah, I'll stick to 60 minutes. Don't, or I'm sorry, I, I promised actually oh. the manager. Yo, so I'll stick to 60 minutes. It, it, it's fine, but uh, I do want to say- I don't, quick I don't care. It's okay. You're the best, honestly. I'm enjoying I, our conversation, so. See, this is this is why I started the podcast. I just want to, I want to talk to other arts workers and see like, where where's everybody's head at? You know, especially following a post-pandemic world, things have changed and things are well, different. Now I'm like, I want to know about what your world is like. I want to know about, you know, how your pandemic has been. I have so many questions for you, but you know, I get it. It's, oh yeah. yeah. Well, right, minutes later, but we can, we can still, we can still have those questions. We can still, we, we can. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, 
honestly, before I do our last thing, uh, you do have a, an Instagram, right? I Social do. Media yeah. presence. So when I put up the episodes, I always tag the performer in it, uh, provided that's okay with them. And uh, sure. we shared on our story. So uh, if you get a follow from me on Instagram, uh, it, it's going to be this, this really serious faced guy with a red shirt and, and a big coat. So um, <laughs> it's not some crazy person. Well, maybe, who knows? Uh, anyway, where was I going with this? Uh, my coffee's wearing off. Aha, yes. Uh, so yeah, I do want to thank you again for being on the show. I hope I can have you back because it's just been very informative and I feel like it's just been a very genuine conversation. So it's always fun to have, you know, somebody new that you just, you, you kind of click with conversationally like right away. It's been perfect. So I do want to thank you for that. And uh, we're at my favorite part of the show, which is our awkward goodbye. So if you're ready for it, all I'm going to do, I'm going to give you a silent Wayne's World countdown. And when I point to you, give me your best, your best, your best verbal awkward goodbye. You think you're ready for that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> awkward? Oh. I'm so excited to see what oh. you do. Uh, I mean, I'm already, you know, I'm already like, oh, well, I'm going to let him down, but it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm already awkward. So we're halfway yeah. there. Right? Oh yeah. Don't even think about it. Shake it off. Shake. What, what do they say? Just then, throw it no, away. Wait, I need to, wait, I need to know this. I need to know some. So when I'm done yeah. with the awkward goodbye, are you just going to like sign off and stop the recording? Like, I'm going oh. to stop the recording, but I'm not going to stop the meeting. Okay. So yeah. just cut me off in the middle of it. Cause it'll be oh. funnier. Okay. I like a good bit. <laughs> okay. I like where your head's at. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Uh huh. And bye. See you later.